covenants of God, the promises of God are bigger than our life, bigger than our 80 or 90 years that we're going to live. Wow. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. We're looking at Genesis chapter 26. It is a good teaching today. We have a chance to delve into this. So stick around for about three minutes. We'll be talking about that. But before then, Corey. Well, in our reading today, we see some dueling over inheritances. So I'm going to be taking a look at kind of the societal structure uh, that leads to why they would be fighting over this. Ryan? Well, yeah, as Corey alluded to, today I'm also going to be talking about the two brothers who were fighting each other even before they were born, which, of course... Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. Wow, very interesting. And Janice? There was a famine in the land. All right. We'll talk about that and more. Let's open up the Bible and listen to what God says. Genesis 26, 1 through 11. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. Genesis chapter 26, chapter 27, and chapter 28, that's what we read. You know, fear is one of humanity's great motivators. When we respond purely out of fear, it's very easy to make wrong decisions. A lot of people do. As Christians, we can be saved from fear. We can choose something else. For example, Paul tells Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. When we move forward as Christians, we do not move in arrogant belief in our own ability, but rather in the confidence of our great and capable God. Many times, Jesus told his disciples not to fear. We all know that fear comes naturally to us, however. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to disobey God at the beginning of time, humanity has lost its place of protection and provision. A main driving force within us is fear. So just like his father, Abraham, did exactly before him, Isaac found himself choosing to lie out of fear for his own life. You see, Isaac told Abimelech, authority in the region that is, that Rebekah was his sister and not his wife. Isaac was not trusting in God's protection. Ultimately, God didn't intervene and save Rebekah and Abimelech then demanded an explanation immediately. Now, this is absolutely fascinating because people who are not of fear, we don't think of them as fearful, are showing their fear today. And that becomes very important. Fear. That's a great one. Genesis 26. Father, I pray today that you would help us because now in the world as we live in it, there's a lot of reason for fear. People are going crazy going after each other. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to recognize and to learn not to be afraid, but to trust in God. Just like the coin says, just like the dollar bill says. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now we look forward to Genesis 26, verses 1 to 5. Here is what the Bible says. It says, there was famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerera. Now this is important because these are the Philistines. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and you bless and I will bless you for you do or for you for to you and your descendants. I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make you and your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all of these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abram obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Now, this is what God said. Now, God's covenants are bigger than our lives on earth, beloved. God's covenants are bigger than our lives on earth. Isaac enjoyed the promises of God because of his father, Abraham. How many of us recognize that we have certain success in our life today because of the prayers of generations before us? We need to recognize that. Of course, there's things that went wrong, but there's many things that went right. To assume that the previous generations never prayed for us is to assume that there was never any Christians previously. But if we make the assumption that, wait a minute, there was Christians, they prayed for us. So beloved, let me tell you something. 
you are prayed for. And the same way you pray for your children and the same way you pray for their children, you're praying for them. Isn't that interesting how the Lord works? Abraham's blessings go on to Isaac. That's what God was saying. Genesis 26, verse six says, so Isaac dwelt in Gera, and the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, well, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is a beautiful woman to behold. So it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, he looked through a window and he saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called out to Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. Now, this is amazing. God always keeps his covenant, even when we don't trust it. <laughs> we, we need to hear that. God always keeps his covenant, even when we don't trust it. We must keep ourselves close to God's word to trust in his promises. Beloved, that's why we read the word of God on this program. One of the reasons, keep ourselves close to his word to remember that he fulfills his promises, even if we don't. God does fulfill his promises. So we need to know what his promises are. So we need to understand what he said. If you follow me, I will do this. If you don't, this will happen. It's obvious. Something we need to pay attention to. Now, this is the last part of it. 26, verse 10. Watch this. And Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? You've done this to us. Well, what is that? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all of his people saying, he who touches this man's or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now that's a serious, that's a serious one. Even those who do not know God are used by God to enforce his covenants. Because God's covenants are eternal. Remember that. Even those who do not know God are used by God to enforce his covenants. Beloved, we would do well to lean on and trust in the promises of God in our lives. Do you trust in the promise of God? I remember a missionary saying to me, I have said this many times, but I'll say it again. He came through and he said, boy, you guys know how to love the Lord. We had a service and, and we gave him resources and all that. <clears throat> he says, but do you know how to trust in God? And I said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I live in a country where it's quite deadly to love the Lord. But he said, I've been there for 25 years and I've learned how to trust in God. I said, that's a really good one. You need to talk about that tonight at the service. And he did. Beloved, we need to trust in God. We need to learn that it's not, you know, our paychecks or the government doing this or that program doing that or this or that. It's God. God will look after us. And beloved, today we pray and say, Jesus Christ, we submit to you. We know that you are the one who takes care of us. So Father, we come to you today. All the believers need you to take care of them now. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Welcome back to the program. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to be doing a study on Jacob and Esau, the two brothers who were in contention with each other even before they were born. These twins would each become a nation, but one would become stronger than the other. But there's been some confusion over these two men. What does the Bible actually teach us about Jacob and Esau? Let's study. When Rebekah finds herself barren after 20 years of marriage, her husband Isaac entreats the Lord and God grants the request. In fact, soon they would discover that within Rebekah's womb were twins who were already struggling for power. When she inquired of God regarding this struggle, God revealed his plan. Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. These two nations were Israel and Edom. From Esau the firstborn came the nation of Edom, and from his younger brother Jacob came Israel, which indeed was the stronger of the two. The Bible describes Esau as a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was apparently a mild man dwelling in tents. Based on these descriptions and the rest of the narrative, some teachers have portrayed Esau positively as the heroic strongman who was ousted out of his birthright and blessing by his coward brother Jacob. The problem with this view, however, is that the Bible gives a very different account. For example, Esau, like Nimrod, was a skillful hunter, which in the context of Genesis is not a positive statement, but a negative one. Likewise, Esau's description as a man of the field is also not a positive statement. What it means is that he chose to work outside of the family unit. It also means that he was a cunning person who forsook loyalty to the family unit and the family covenant. Contrary to popular belief, God's own evaluation of Esau is not positive but negative, as is also revealed elsewhere in Scripture. God's evaluation of Jacob, on the other hand, is positive. Though Jacob is usually described in English Bibles as being a quiet or mild man, this is not an accurate translation. Indeed, the Hebrew word actually means perfect, upright, whole, complete, blameless, or without blemish. Noah is described as such. Therefore, the Bible is describing Jacob as a man whose heart was right towards God. As far as Jacob's description as one dwelling in tents, this simply means that he chose to labor within the family clan unit. He chose to follow his family's profession, that of a shepherd, as was true of Abraham and Isaac. This led to an ordered and settled life in contrast to that of being a wandering man of the field. It was by no means the profession of a coward. In fact, Genesis 31 vividly describes some of Jacob's sufferings as a shepherd. Of course, Jacob was not totally innocent either, though his sin did not lie in the receiving of the blessing and birthright, but in the deception of his father Isaac, which was orchestrated by his mother Rebekah. Indeed, the birthright along with the blessing already belonged to Jacob both legally, since Esau already sold them to Jacob, and by divine right. Knowing this, Jacob and Rebekah should have allowed God to intervene. 
So we'll have to continue this study on the next program in which we'll look in detail at the actual deception of Isaac, which was orchestrated by Rebecca, and the passing of the patriarchal blessing to Jacob rather than Esau. Believe it or not, just as with today's study, there are a few misconceptions surrounding this event, which we'll attempt to clear up tomorrow. Yeah, you know, it's really the, the Jacob Esau thing is really interesting because these are two brothers. And uh, the, the father had his favorite and the mother seems to have her favorite and they're different and it's a real challenge. I'll yeah, tell you. it really is. Yeah, absolutely. But when you begin to study it and you begin to learn it, it, it you know, as as a mother or a father, you begin to understand it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really, really important. Okay. All right. So, I mean, when we're looking at Jacob and Esau wrestling over this, uh, over this inheritance, we realize really quickly that our modern Western culture is fundamentally different than the culture we see represented in Genesis. We're separated by time, by distance, by custom and structure, right? In the modern West, we've endowed our governments or states with considerable responsibility. And as such, the power to enact those responsibilities on our behalf. Our governments regulate, aid, and protect us. At least that's the idea. But biblical Israel was a part of the ancient Near East, whose societal structure was instead based around the family. It was tribal and patriarchal. This means the responsibility for the economic, legal, and physical security of the family was entrusted to the oldest male member of each family he regulated, aided, and protected. Now, extended families lived together in order to survive. They would grow their own food in crops and animals. They shared the responsibilities of harvest, things like grinding grain and making clothing, all the daily necessities of life. Now, later on in Israel, it's believed that multiple individual family homes for a couple and their children would be built around a central courtyard, which enabled up to 30 close relatives consisting of a patriarch and matriarch, their children and spouses and their children, to live and work together. When the family grew too large, it would split and become two family units, which we even see happen in Genesis, right? When Lot splits from Abraham. So this arrangement, as well as the physical family itself, was referred to as the father's house, reflecting that responsibility to, uh, given to an authority expected from that oldest male member of the house, that father. Now, this makes sense of the custom of the firstborn inheritance, which is what we see Jacob and Esau fighting over. The firstborn son of a father would one day become the patriarch himself, responsible in every way for the survival and morality of his other family members. This is why the firstborn was given a double inheritance. This practice prepared the son with the physical resources he would need to care for the family. Now, this societal structure also makes sense of why people were identified as the son of their father, as your legal, moral, and social standing depended on him. And he was responsible for your actions, whether good or bad. He had an obligation to take care of your needs, to protect you, and to spend family resources to get you out of trouble if you needed it. Now, male members of a household would always stay with the family while women would switch allegiances. When they married, they would integrate into their husband's family, becoming a member of his father's house. Uh, and therefore, her societal and physical protection and moral accountability would be transferred to that patriarch. Now, this system worked well for family units, but it did leave some members of society really vulnerable, mainly foreigners, widows, orphans, and divorced women. 
for women whose husbands divorced them, they would be expected to return to their father's family or whoever was currently its patriarch. And then the bride price that her ex-husband had paid to her father or brother when they got married would then hypothetically have made up for her financial needs. Foreigners, widows, and orphans, though, were particularly vulnerable. Without a larger safety net of family, they could be left without a means of provision and almost no hope of acquiring provision in the future. Now, these vulnerabilities explain the custom of leveret marriage or brother marriage that we also see represented in the Bible. So if a woman was widowed without having a child but was still of childbearing age, her dead husband's brother would take her into his household so she would have immediate provision and he would have a son with her that would bear his dead brother's name. This ensured that that woman would also have future provision as the child would inherit their legal father's estate. It also explains the Bible's legislation in the Mosaic law that's meant to protect the foreigner, widow, and orphan. Because without an overseeing state to protect them, they were the most vulnerable of society. How amazing is it then that God is actually identified as their protector in the scripture? And it's also worth noting that just because the Bible shows God working in this type of society does not mean that it's endorsing this society specifically. We're not expected to adopt a patriarchal system for our own. God's added legislation of the system in the law of Moses should be seen as God limiting this structure. He added his morality to an already existing system. In fact, God directly contradicting the patriarchal system's expectation is often seen in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, God routinely chooses and elevates a younger born son over the firstborn. Think Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and even David. All of these were those who should not have become leaders within the patriarchal societal structure. And yet we're told that God sees the heart of man while man only looks at the outside. And he, in these cases and more, he forced this patriarchal society to think and operate outside of its structure. God is not endorsing the structure but working despite the structure, just as he can do for each one of us today. I think that's so important, Corey. He's working to apply his morality or his mm -hmm. thinking about humankind into that. So many people today just take, you know, the libertarians, take the idea, the, the Democrats, the Republicans, the liberals, the conservatives, and they apply these ideas and say they're from the Bible. But hold on a minute. What is God doing? God is so much bigger than politics. God is so he's much bigger higher, than our systems, bigger mm -hmm. than yeah. our systems. He's not limited by our system. He is not. And we, we to, are, but he's exactly. not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We need to focus on God. That's very important. Good. Janice. There was a famine in the land, and that's exactly how chapter 26 of Genesis starts. It says there was a famine in the land and Isaac goes to Abimelech. And as Rod taught earlier in the program, he lied to Abimelech about his wife because he was afraid. He was afraid that because of her great beauty, the men would kill him so that they could have her. And so he lied out of fear. And it brought me back to that very opening line. There was a famine in the land. You know, here at Bible Discovery, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe it is the bread of life. It is the living water. It's Jesus in the flesh. That's what the word is to us. This program has been founded on Psalm 10720. He, God, sent his word, Jesus, to heal and deliver us from our destructions. That's what we truly believe here. 
And so looking at this, there was a famine in the land. If we are not in the word of God daily, if we don't spend time with God in his word and in prayer, building that relationship, there will be a famine in our very souls. Did you hear what I said? There will be a famine in our soul. You may think that the Bible is a dusty old book of old ancient customs and things that don't even make sense anymore, but I'm here as living proof that the word of God will change you from the inside out. And we like to include the entire Bible from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, not just focusing on one section of the Bible, but taking the whole Bible so that we can put it into context, not just pull out what we want to hear or what makes us feel good, but to understand the word of God for us and how God has sent his son to change us and bring us back to him. So let's not have a famine in our soul, in our land. Let's go to God. When we have a famine, when we're not in God's word, when we don't have it in our hearts, meaning we need to read it, but we need to begin to apply it. When we don't have it there, fear comes and it can take over and it can make us make the wrong choices. When we have God in our lives, will we never fear again? We're human and we will have fear. Jesus told his disciples many times, do not fear. And then he would give them the reason why. Because we can have Jesus in our life and he can help us with our fears. When we live to follow the Lord Jesus Christ every day in our lives, we spend time with him in prayer. We spend time with him in his word. That comes into us. And when we go through trials, when we go through dark times, when we go through those times when we just feel like we're so alone and we're so fearful, we don't even know where to turn, deep inside we know where we can turn, who has never left us alone, and that's God. He has the answers. He will help us through. He will help us through those times. And so don't have a famine in your life. Make the Word of God and your time with God a priority in your life every day, just like you would eat food and drink water every day to keep your body well. carry on in the spirit of prayer and we say, Lord, I need to read your word every day. Help me to do that. You know, where there's interruptions and where there's my phone, my iPad, whatever's taking my attention away. I pray, Lord, that I would learn to read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And let me remind you as well to go to YouTube and look up Pastor Rod Hembry. Pastor Rod Henry at Pastor Rod Henry. And there you can find all of our new programs and things coming for you.